This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Tasmanian metal god Psychroptic's new album As the Kingdoms Drown is out now via Prosthetic Records, Decibel Hills, The Killer Songs Inside. Angry Metal Guy says 15 years later, Psychroptic have finally delivered an album that lives up to the brilliance of the Scepter of the Ancients. Visit store.prostheticrecords.com to order once more. Psychroptic's new album, As the Kingdoms Drown, is out now. Store.prostheticrecords.com Coming this spring, the album that people will be talking about for years. Recorded during their 2018 European tour, it's... Threatened! Live from Europe. Described by Jixer750 Pilot on YouTube as a one-man band. That's one more than its audience. Justin says he is the Tommy Wiseau of music. Take in the genius of a man who's not above interviewing himself. Come and see what happens when the kid who used to tell his mom on you when you wouldn't let him play with you and your friends learns to play guitar. Live from Europe. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hey, what is going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Speich, and I'm always joined by... Hey, what is going on, everybody? I'm your co-host, Brandon Gooch Hahn, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at yourbuddygooch. Oh my God, you sound like a kindergartner in a play. And it's Jocelyn Sharp. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jocelyn Sharp. Hi, my name is Brandon, and I like Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at Rise to Offend, Facebook, Twitter, Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, guys, got to talk to Nita Strauss about her debut record controlled chaos it is out right now it's fantastic i'm loving it and she's also on tour with angel vivaldi so make sure you check dates that tour is running all the way till december 21st but before that interview guys we love to talk about the metal sucks news as you all know and i mean there's only one news story that was just plastered all week and that is all about threatened here this wonderful this wonderful situation s- yeah I guess? It, yeah is, can we call it a band or is it more of a is it a situation we're gonna call it a situation band okay, okay. so <laughs> yes well played i'm gonna say this to if ev- a band plays a concert and there's no one around to hear it did they still yeah exactly they did <laughs> they did yes. i, I did think it make so. a sound <laughs> now uh, i want everybody dude this is you definitely have to go to metalsucks.net to get the rundown there are so many stories all involving one guy all, there's so many stories of the breakdown and, and interviews with the band members and his brother and all these things so we can't go through all that but what we're going to talk about is just kind of a, a quick rundown. This on that. dude's so, fake ass social media life rap sheet is so deep. Yeah. <laughs> it's so deep. We're gonna, we're, we can't just, I, I, I don't want us to all jump on to the negative. I need somebody to be a devil's advocate for this guy because I always, I'm always uncomfortable with that public shaming. He okay. seems to take good so care of his hair. Somebody, somebody on this team okay, has what's to his play name? devil's advocate. What's his name? Jared Threaten. Jared? Jared. He's, Jared he Threaten. The cheekbones of a Celtic princess Jared <laughs> threatened. so okay i will yeah, public exactly. shame him because i, I want yeah when i, I see your princess when daughter. i see this guy i'm like am i watching brave <laughs> so let me break down this week in threatened news guys and, and i know we'll probably forget about that in a couple weeks because not much happened but anyways last week if you guys don't remember this dude booked a fake uk tour and everybody's like how did he con and defraud you know uk bookers and all that stuff well what ended up happening is that they did some digging and they found out that jared threatened his real name was jared eames and he wasn't a death and black metal band called satith i think i said that right um whatever they spell it like yeah. they spell it like the way that you spell demon you know if you're like a, like a really like hardcore old school person yeah it sounds like he's saying satan but he's got a lisp save it that's what that's how i feel i'm saying it exactly it so anyways he was in a band called satith all hail satith they broke up and then jared and his brother scott who were in the band they had a falling out and they haven't spoken since he moved to los angeles and that's when he started creating this threatened character so he moved away from the black and death metal kind of scene uh he completely made a fake record label and mind you he's married to this to somebody for like eight nine years so it's probably like a team effort but someone is supporting him throughout this process so someone very someone married him yeah someone he's been married since 2000 
2010. No, not dumb. How much oh. food do you think they had to throw away at the wedding when there was no people in the chairs? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm going to be, a, What's rom- her, I'm now, gonna be now. a romantic here and just say, like, you know, it's someone to have your back even with horrible ideas. It's Aww, kind of sweet. Kinda sweet. Kinda sweet. Right. So, so what's Jared, just? I wonder if they both. I wonder if him and his wife came up with the name Jared Threaten, you know. And I want to know if his wife's name was like Ashley Intimidate or something like that. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> moving See, on. I had a way better joke about a Ashley Intimidate company jingle. <laughs> moving on, like you said. So, anyways, they. This is when they moved to Los Angeles. They created a fake record label, a fake press outlet, fake awards, fake web design. I mean, and then they hired something known as a click farm. Which, uh, I didn't even know existed, but apparently if you want to make likes on your social media, you can hire like click farms and they'll just give you a bunch of fake likes, which yeah. makes really no sense to me. But I, if it works in the media, then I guess you can blame the media for people having this business. Right? Well, you're growing your social media like a farm. It, click farm. <sighs> yeah. Actually intimidate. Anyway, so it grows. It, but the thing is, is that like as much as it does work, people now know it's not a valid thing. So he he was just one that slipped through the cracks and we didn't realize what was happening. But you got to understand the delusion of, uh, of Jared here, Mr. Threaten, is that he, he on knows. On first glance, here's the deal. If you didn't know the guy, on first glance, he looks legit. I'm just saying at first glance. Mm-hmm. But again, you can't take anything at service value here nowadays. No. You know, so you always have to do your research. And no one did. <laughs> no one <laughs> no, did. Well, that's another thing. Nobody did. So in a way, like, I'm mad at this guy, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? No, dude, go for you it. You kind of respect the hustle. Go for it, Jared. Threaten. <laughs> I, like, but when you see pictures of the guy, you want to threaten him. Like, you know what you, I mean? Like The confidence you must have to sit in a room alone and videotape yourself interviewing yourself. Mm-hmm. The confidence. <laughs> but let's just be honest as human beings here, right? As human beings, as we're growing up in life, right? We, we learn, there's people that we like and that are cool that, that do things and they're selling and they're selling. And it takes you a while to figure out who's selling and who's genuine, right? That's, that's like a life lesson for everybody. So Jared believed in the selling portion of it. He didn't believe in the genuine portion of it. And then he had a partner in crime, obviously his wife and there, and there are a couple, and they both rolled with that. And then through those delusions, people were making it sound legit because of click farms. But in the back of his head, he had to know it was all a fraud. But you got to realize he booked this tour and he went to the venues but with the band. That's my thing. My, my bet is on delusion on his part, on yeah. him wanting to believe that he actually had a really successful like tour plan because the picture of him standing on stage playing with literally two people. I mean, I feel for that because as a comic, I've done a lot of shows for two people. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, you flew over the ocean yeah. to do a show for two people. And then the thing is, is that obviously all his social media went away when, you know, the story was coming out last week and it disappeared. And then his Twitter said that he's going to make an announcement and kind of like, you know, give some people answers. And now I, I want the world to know the fact that everybody thought that any kind of words that came out of his mouth as far as an announcement goes um, on Twitter, there was no way it was going to say he could have been like, I own that I'm a liar and I did this. And people feel like, oh, that would satisfy. No, this is what he responded to the world after all this was, you know, his delusion was proven to be fake what is fake news question mark i turned an empty room into an international headline if you're reading this you are part of the illusion hashtag marketing hashtag psychology hashtag social media hashtag fake news hashtag threaten hashtag breaking the world hashtag music industry so this is what i'm he pretended go ahead i'm hearing that a guy paid a bunch of money a lot of money to pull off this elaborate hoax and then it kind of worked. And then he's like, ha, I told you. And I'm like, yeah, but you're the one who paid a lot of money to look like a dumb asshole. Who like, what are you doing? Who yeah, did it work for? Who did it work for? Yeah. He didn't prank anyone. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he you pranked got, himself. Yeah, you got me. You went over there to Europe and you caught pl- mad cow disease, you <laughs> stupid fuck. You know? Well, if, if 15 people to 20 people showed up to all those shows, do you think we'd be talking about it? 20 people at a rock show is still pretty damn light. But if it's for a brand new band, then that's not too shabby. But here's the but thing. I, is, I would no, actually, he, he said he pre-sold th- hundreds. That's the problem see he yeah. lied yeah he you lied. know so there you go oh, he lied already so that's what i'm getting <laughs> we can say he lied that's what I'm trying at. to it's implicate just... jared and say that he's not honest yes that's, <laughs> hmm. but that's what i'm getting at it's like there's nothing i hate more than when somebody is a blatant liar okay Dude, this guy like, listen to that blatant delu- listen to that delusion yeah that's there was delusion that's somebody going i could like that's that, that kind of dude always has an excuse for why he fucked up but my thing is though is this is the kind of guy here's the deal this is the kind of guy that gets a reality show 
show. And this is the kind of guy that ends up getting even more followers because people are just like, oh, you know, because there are morons out there that think just like him. And then they're going to look at him and go, he's so smart. And, you know, yeah, 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 put yeah, him on a different level. If delusion works, why not double down on it? That's what he did. Why not cash in? Why well, not that, just do like, look at the, all the press you get. Now I'm not saying this is good. And this does say a lot about society or how the media like yes. wants to know a bunch about that. Like people like this dude, instead of just like letting them kind of go away. The point is, is that he's already sold this delusion and his liar and, and he's being publicly shamed. And this is all a reaction that people get, you know, and he'll probably go away. This might be it. I think this is probably a rap for him. But the point is, is that for him to double down on delusion and still pretend like he believes and still believe, pretend like, hey, you know, maybe I do have a, a mental disorder or some sort, which he very well may. This is a this smarter person play. person seems incredibly emotionally stable. No. And I resent you implicating yeah. that he's not. Here's my, here's my fundamental issue with this is that, that he can, it, it's not that he pranked audience members or he didn't have any, like what he did with the only people he affected was these venues and, and live entertainment venues don't need anybody fucking taking up a night where they're not going to make any money. He, he did. He did con. Exactly. Well, I'm, we're talking about criminal actions. He didn't do anything besides embarrass himself. Really. No, I don't think yeah. he didn't. I mean, obviously the, 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 the band members though, that flew out there have had, to have lost money there are people involved that that weren't in on the con that put their own money down i'm sure so there are here's the thing he frauded people out of money which is definitely messed up and illegal isn't it this is where i don't think it's illegal is that he went on stage and performed yes. he still did the job he yes. still did the job that he was required to do just to one person in the audience but i mean he still did show up so that's why i don't think it's illegal but that's that's i mean this is I'm what i don't a, understand cop, dude so. but this is this is what he showed everyone he's like look these people really don't pay attention. If you come to the table talking a big game, these venues and other artists will buy into what you're saying. There are people out there that will not do the research. They just go, okay, money, give me, thank you. Oh, we'll get money afterwards? Okay. They don't expect someone to lead them on, especially face-to-face like this. Because people don't, most people... For the most part, you give everyone the benefit of the doubt. No, but most people aren't going to put themselves in a situation to be absolutely embarrassed and be delusional liars. Most people are going to have common sense and be like, I can't pull this off. Why am I selling this? Right. That's, but, that's the majority. So Jared went the other way with it. And then he got all this press and everybody was talking about it. And we're talking about it. Yeah. You guys think we'll ever talk about him again though? Yes. Honestly, you do. Yes. Yeah. I, okay. I think I, this is the end. Because no. he literally thinks he did nothing in, in this is the kind of dude that will always spin the narrative to the fact that he was the smartest guy in the room because he is arrogant and not the most intelligent person in the room. So he spent his entire life just confidencing his way to feeling superior. Hmm. And I also think that people are stupid. And when you come across someone like this, they want, it's the same thing with the Kardashians. It's the same thing with Honey Boo Boo. These people aren't intelligent, but everybody just wants, this is their claim. Oh, I want to see the train wreck so it can make themselves feel better about their current situation in life. This guy is obviously a train wreck that will attract people. And more and more, we as we head towards the downward spiral of society. I'm not going to go with people are stupid. I'm going to go with entertainment is just different. People, people adhere to their entertainment. And you're right. This is entertainment now. Well, stupid people adhere to this entertainment. Well, I, mean, I will tell them if, if, if there's a reality television show and you start watching this threatened douche, you know what I mean? I'm, you're a stupid person. <laughs> call you bought me stupid right into then because I will watch it. Joslyn, you're very watch it. stupid. I will watch it. <laughs> I, understand, I understand the entertainment value of everything from stupid to smart. Me too. In a lot of ways. Now, what do I adhere to? I, I try not to adhere to anything that makes me feel shameful about watching it. And yes, something like this would make me feel bad because I know in my in my back of my head I know all I'm doing is making fun of someone and and watching them kind of see I don't look at it like that's, that. that's I the way I see he, it. No, I don't look at it. You, However, you walked into the spotlight. You walked into the spotlight. But but my thing is <laughs> always, you have to deal with that. I don't I don't think he's going through. I don't think the Kardashians go through it knowing that they're being stupid. They write a couple of things out and then it's like, all right, you know, I got you hold say on. something dumb and then we'll make fun of it a little bit I, and, I, and then we'll have a resolution. I at also the end. have to interject and say anyone who says the Kardashians are stupid needs to take a look at their checkbook. Yeah, yeah. Stupid people don't get that rich. I'm just gonna say this real quick. How many episodes have you honestly sat down and watched the Kim Kardashian? I've show? watched three minutes of it and I became enraged okay. at all of America. 
America for making them famous. I have a rule. If you don't actually take the time to experience it, you shouldn't criticize it. That's my rule. You mean I've to tell never me, you seen the Kardashians? Me. I, I'm not saying it's smart. Wow. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm just saying I, myself, dude, let's not wow. criticize. It's not a smart show, but I'm saying they're not dumb people. No, they're very dumb right. people. It's the people that, it's the it's the network executives and stuff. They're like, wow, people really love watching shitheads fuck up their lives and argue and fight and, and bitch about completely th- things Those that don't matter. Those three minutes you watched are fucking revolutionary because your opinions are strong. <laughs> I'm telling you. No, because, dude, you, you know what happens? What's I your watch, reference, though? Because I watch, uh, uh, I've watched the talk soup and stuff like that. So I've seen enough <laughs> of the show where you're like, this is what people are talking about. This is why people like the show. It's dumb. Yeah, but out of context clips can never be give you. Because if somebody were to take shit, we sit out of context. And oh, clips, bro. Dude, they'd be bro. like, these people are Fuck. idiots. You can prove we're every bad I thing in the book. I can't believe it is me versus you <laughs> on the Kardashians. I'm just saying, you, you don't, you don't. I started the conversation <laughs> saying I was devil's advocate. You did. I'm just no, playing you, my role, baby. No, not only just that. Playing my no, role. no, no. Here's the deal. You didn't say devil's advocate. Look, I'm not going to complain about something that I've never watched yet. Oh, I want you fair. to watch it. I want you to watch. I want you to watch a, a season of the Kardashians, and then I want you to tell me how right I am about everything I just. Oh, said. this should be a rule. You should Ooh. have to watch 12 episodes of the Kardashians. Yes. Before if, we're back. If, if I, I guess was, I'm saying no more. Here's no more. Thing. If I were to watch a season of the Kardashians, I would come back and report and criticize what I did not like because I I invested my time into it. But I also need to know what you liked. Yeah, no, and that's what I was just about to say. And on the flip side, I would tell you, but you know what I do like about these people and these characters and what's going on? There's something there. like... All right, guys. So, so last week when we uh, read the statement by All That Remains guitarist Ollie Herbert's wife, we all felt it was awkward and we were worried that we would have to talk about this story again because it, it just didn't sound really like a statement that a widow would put out. And unfortunately, this week it has come to our knowledge that police are investigating the death of All That Remains guitarist Ollie Herbert and that his death has been deemed suspicious. What is suspicious about taking a walk around a slippery pond in the middle of the night in the dark? Good point. There's nothing suspicious about that. (laughs) So a lot of people, like I said, there's been a lot of, there's a justice for Ollie Herbert page, and um, I haven't had the chance to look at it or or really go deep into it, but there's a lot of people that are speculating that his wife had something to do with it now that it's suspicious. This could be, this is probably one of the worst outcomes if it actually does come to fruition that someone did actually, you know, take his life um, because we don't see a lot of that in this community or in this scene. But yeah, definitely something that we're scared of leaning right now, guys, what are you guys thinking? I've made that. Apparent. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm thinking, I am thinking that, okay, here's the thing is I know everyone wants to tip a toe around it and not be honest about what they're thinking, but I'm going to be honest. We live in a, a true crime world where we love and are fascinated by the macabre. We all read and watch stories about these things. And, I'm just saying that that doesn't add up, that everything doesn't add up. It was uncomfortable last week. This, them investigating it now just makes me feel like our uncomfortableness was coming from a place of genuine understanding that that's not the correct way somebody grieving would act. You know, there's a reason that FBI profiling works. There's a reason that psychologically understanding the way people are supposed to behave work. Because when you step outside the normal thought processes and the normal behaviors, it's because there's something fundamentally rewired inside of you. And it's either that you're not responding to the situation correctly because you're not being honest or, you know, you're mentally deficient or whatever. And when you're in a society like we have where a knee-jerk reaction is exactly what will happen no matter what you put out there in black and white print, and that's a society that we all live in, we all adhere to, her statement knowing that is where we're living in is really a red flag for me. I'm like, look, people are going to react to this and you know exactly how they're going to react to this. There is nothing in between. You're putting exclamation marks and saying you're happy about a toxicology report. Well, this is what, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like the fact that we got the results, exclamation point. It's like, dude, temper, temper it a little bit. But my thing is though, is this is also a woman who's probably been bombarded right? We on did make social that media, point. on social media, telling people that, you know, you're a murderer, you're a murderer. So yeah, once all of a sudden there is proof, once there is a toxicology report saying pretty much clearing her of any wrongdoing, I can only imagine that I would probably be like, guys, look, see, I didn't do it. I told you. The thing is though, is this is just yet another reminder that 
because of the society that we live in, because of the Kardashians. Oh my God. I blame it all on them. No, I'm kidding. No, but it's like, uh, but th- because Those of the- three minutes of haunting him for if, life. If, if he can, fucking, if he can circle so back to how half people need to die, he can, he will. I, oh God, dude. I'm telling you, Thanos broke. <laughs> when when so, we have angry Brandon, we have a good show. No, it is. It's on fire. No, but what I'm saying is, is this is just yet another situation where you have all these people, they think, they look at coincidences and they're just like, oh yeah, they're guilty. No doubt, guilty. And it's just- a coincidence right. like like this whole like the idea that there is a hashtag justice for ollie well what happens if this woman didn't have anything to do with it what happens if she's 100 percent cleared doesn't matter these people still believe this within no, 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 her heart gotta, that she's going to be a murderer we regardless we don't know that that's the point of the hashtag either way they have to do an investigation this is the point this is part of the justice system like they have to do no, it. i understand but that. Th- my issue is that no matter what in my life i've had tons of uh, unfortunately i've had tons of friends lose husbands and wives Lives and you, they never send a paragraph and a half, no matter what they're going through, because they just can't. And that was the part that was weird to me. Were your fr- were your friends were they married to a famous musician? No, no, so that's another go. point. So when you have a fa- so when fame is all of a sudden involved, you have people like us, just regular average Joes. Now all of a sudden, our opinion is hitting this person when normally it probably wouldn't have. And let's be let's just be clear in in a knee jerk reaction society when police release a statement saying that they are investigating because. It, it, the death is suspicious. Do people just go yes. murder? Yes. yes, yes, because what they don't understand is that the and that's not that's not necessarily the case. The police have a liability. The, the police have a liability yeah. to deem whatever the act was, whether it was suicide or homicide. They have they're liable if they deem it as a suicide and it was a homicide. So sometimes the investigation is just about them doing all the steps correctly. Moving on, Bruce Dickinson, guys, Iron Maiden. God damn, he's he is so like he what is he sixty? And we've seen him just last year. This guy is fucking an anomaly as how, how great he's on stage. But anyways, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was asked if he would like to be in there. And this is his statement. I'm really happy we're not there, and I would never want to be there. If we were inducted, I will refuse. They won't bloody be having my corpse in there. Rock and roll music does not belong in a mausoleum in Cleveland. It's a living, breathing thing, and if you put it in a museum, then it's dead. It's worse than horrible. It's vulgar. Yeah! What do you think? I don't know if it's the way that you read it, but I don't think his problem is with a museum of rock and roll. I think it's with it that it's in Cleveland. Yes. <laughs> That's what his problem is. Because <laughs> he said in do Cleveland. Pe- do people across the pond know? The, the history yeah. of Cleveland? Yeah. Like, do they, I don't know if he knows Cleveland. Yeah. Like, we know Cleveland. Do I want my Iron Maiden memorabilia being surrounded by homeless people First sleeping all, out in front of this mausoleum? Iron Maiden knows America. They've been traveling it forever. Yes. So he knows Cleveland. No, he yes. knows Cleveland. He's been there. <laughs> he loves, man, he you, loves Baker Mayfield. What do you guys think I about this? Me, personally, like a museum, I guess you can say that about every museum. But, like, if you're a kid and you're going through and you're seeing the, the punk rock displays or, like, an I Iron love the Maiden, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love it. I love rock, I love yeah. rock and roll display. I love going to Hard Rock and walking around yeah. here in Vegas and looking at all the different seeing Prince's outfits. It's love so it. cool. But here is my thing, and I don't know if this is the Catholic shame in me, but I love my artists and rock stars to be grateful for accolades, but not desire them. Yeah, good call. You know? I'm on. I'm on Team Dickinson now. Yeah. I'm, yeah. What about you? Uh, I mean, in a way, I mean, it's like when you, especially when you look at some of the the acts that they have let in. They're right. Like, yeah. And if you're well, on I'm your not, I'm not, you're yeah. like, what? Oh, I'm fuck not, you. Yeah. But and that's the thing is, it's like uh, we we talk about this a lot in, in our own entertainment lives, and that that accolades and achievements and all these things in entertainment are only what you make of them. They're so subjective because me getting something is nothing compared to somebody get, like Iron Maiden getting in the rocket. Why, why does he need to be in there? He is the rocket. Like yeah. he's Iron Maiden. He's like already showed himself. Well, yeah. What does he need to be in there for? Axel wrote in the article, and I thought it was funny. He was like, "You can't fire me. I quit." That's the mentality because <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not in there. Yeah. It does kind of it's feel kind like of it does kind of feel like when a guy would hit on me at a bar and would be like, "Full fuck, fuck it, you're fat. I don't want to talk to you." Anyways, yeah. I'd be like, "Well, I think that you did, and you yeah. just don't because I rejected you." Right? Yeah. So take that. Yeah. Jared Threaten. <laughs> Jared Threaten. <laughs> and the last story we want to talk about, just touch on real quick, guys. Stan Lee has passed away. Obviously, to I think rock and metal. I don't know why, but I always felt comic books. Um, There's always been a, a, have a they a, go together like just, mm, like yin and yang. Yes. Thing, man. Well, if you listen to like early metal, especially like you know Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, those types of things, they were always talking about mid- medieval type shit and wizards and whatever. So I mean, it's like the correlation is there. Well, and he's he's a legacy guy that like I aching him to like someone like Jim Henson. 
you know, like yes. they, they, it seems like everything they did was just kind. Well, you know, is, it was like, they're just masters of their craft and their art and they never gave up. Unfortunately, like, I, I mean, I feel like the next few generations, unfortunately, Marvel's going to be remembered more by its movies than the comic yeah. books. I think the movies have trumped the comic books, which is sad. Um, but good parents will always make the kids go back manually before yeah, they get read to the, this Punisher out so. comic first. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying Punisher. <laughs> you can't have your dessert till you read Punisher <laughs> number sixty-seven. This is when he beheads Jigsaw. <laughs> my, my first uh, goal, my first girl crush was Rogue. I was like, who man. is this? Person? When I was twelve years old, I dyed the front of my hair blonde to look like Rogue. Uh, I have Rogue. a yearbook picture of yeah. me with my hair like that. Can't touch her; she'll kill you. It's yeah. cool. I never have to touch her. Just let me hang out with her. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was that was well, a ten-year-old me. For me, <laughs> just wanted. That's cute. You're not even aware of sex. Just, <laughs> she's just so pretty. I like Rogue. <laughs> she's so... And also a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, whatever. Listen. Yeah, mine was... And it's not like I wasn't over there having hormonal awakenings about Logan, so... Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> when you see... First off, thank you, Stan Cyclops Lee. Cyclops look great, too. I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, thank you, Stan Lee, for pretty much depicting every comic book character in unreachable bodies. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you <laughs> for not making us feel the <laughs> slightest bit insecure. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because uh, is that really what you're going to say? But no, it was funny. What, what I was going to say <laughs> was, uh, what I was going to say is, you know, and I don't mean for this to sound like blasphemy or whatever, but you know, I am not obviously I'm not a, a religious person, and I'm not one of these. I try not to blast religion, you know, because I understand because everybody has their one thing that shows them the, the path towards the light, you know what I mean? And for me, I didn't have Jesus or Muhammad. I had Spider Man, and Stan Lee gave me Spider Man. Spider Man. Wolverine, uh, uh, in the Hulk. I mean, it's like when you when you really get to the bottom of of what these characters are about and the, the core things that just make them who they are. You know, it, it did show me like problems I had with myself, and you know, and then you see, then you read other comics too. Like you start realizing one of the most like the Ultron character that he created is such an amazing character because it's like he was created to help mankind, but then he saw how mankind, but when you read up on all the stories on mankind, it's like, well, they're just doomed to kill each other. So let me just help out the earth and wipe out mankind. That, and that what a beautiful parable that has been told a thousand times in comic books is that the things that we create to try and help us are often the things that destroy us. Yeah. It's, 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 it's in a way it's Mary Shelley, it's Frankenstein, but I mean, it's like, but it's such a, it's such an unbelievable reminder that you you can believe in good as much as you want, but the second you go too far to get that good, to experience that good, you you're in the you're in the path of evil, and that's another thing too that Stanley did. All of his bad guys, they they all had something about them that made you go, this person isn't 100 percent evil. I know why they're angry now. I know why they're doing. This. My thing that I love about Stanley and will always love about Stanley is that uh, he was a master at. Uh, understanding humanity on a very base level in such a beautiful way that people of all backgrounds, of all religious experiences, of all raising, of all over the world, no matter where they live, what city, what what socioeconomic status, they could relate to a character in his universe. He so understood humanity that he could paint the picture of a world where things worked right, and even when they worked wrong, they still felt right. That I mean, it really was he masterful the way that he he cultivated this world between all the artists and character creators that worked underneath him over all those years in a way look those comics were my bible they were the things that kept me on the straight and narrow they were the things that kept me from from wanting to hurt the people that were hurting me they were the they just kept me aimed towards the the right place and you know and stanley thank you thank you for everything you did for me all right guys so with that this month, Amon and Marth will release their new documentary and supporting live albums, The Pursuit of Vikings, 25 Years in the Eye of the Storm, via Metal Blade Records. In addition to the retrospective documentary, the live video and audio component contains two different sets at 2017 Summer Breeze Festival in Germany. Capturing the unit at their very best, make sure you purchase your copies now at metalblade.com slash Marth. Once again, metalblade.com slash Amon Amarth. And with that, guys, very excited. Let's get to my interview with Nita Strauss. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Petter on the Metal Sucks podcast. On the phone, I got Nita Strauss. We are here to talk about her new record, debut record, Controlled Chaos, which is actually out right now. And your current tour, which runs all the way till December 
21st. Now, Nita, Controlled Chaos. What's up? What's up? (laughs) Controlled Chaos is your debut record. And when writing instrumental songs, I always want to ask instrumental artists this. Is there a storytelling process to the song or is it kind of the whole album? Yeah, it's for me, it was the song. It's an individual song. I know a lot of people will do a concept album and tell one large story. But for me, since it's my first ever album, and not just my first solo album, it's actually my first album album ever, really. Um, I wanted to kind of show the listener a cross-section of, of me and what I'm all about and what I do. So this, the album has, of course, it's, it's really dark and aggressive. You know, for the majority, it's, it's pretty heavy. But there's a, there are a couple songs that are more melodic and, you know, kind of bouncy and kind of fun. And there's a couple songs that are calmer and more peaceful. And there's, you know, it kind of just showcases all the different parts of what goes on in my head at any given time. You've been playing guitar since you were 13, and this is your first record. I mean, have you right. just, is there a, a bunch of songs that you have written throughout the years or did you just focus straight on this re- record from uh, as new material? This one is all new material. Uh, there were a couple holdover riffs from my band, We Start Wars, but uh, it's really, it's all new material because I didn't want it to be a bunch of, like I said, I want it to be a snapshot of my personality and I want it to be my personality now. One song you did choose, you chose to do, just put one cover song on the record, and that is uh, by Queen, The Show Must Go On. Tell us about that choice and the importance behind that song to you. Well, you know, you hear the, a song like The Show Must Go On, and it's not the typical choice for an instrumental cover. You know, I, I know a lot of people were expecting me to put an Alice song or a Maiden song or something. But The Show Must Go On was always a really important song for me, particularly because it really resonated with me. I, I don't like to draw too much on the male-female thing. You know, I don't like to say, oh, I have, I'm a girl, so I have it differently than anyone else in this industry. But there is a certain pressure to keep a smile on your face and, you know, and remain calm and remain cool in, in the face of anything. And, you know, there have been so many times in my career where I can truly say, like, I've gone on stage in a horrible mood or, you know, I've walked to the stage wiping tears away from, you know, whatever is going on in, in my personal life. And when that make, when the music hits, you just have to put that smile on or put that aggression on or whatever and channel it into the show. And hearing Freddie say, you know, my makeup may be flaky, my, uh, but my smile stays on, that always really resonated with me. So it was something uh, I thought was a really fitting end. And it just is a, such a coincidence that the Queen movie happens to come out because my record was supposed to come out in September. So it's kind of a... A nice little coincidence that the Queen movie is about to come out at the same time. It's a good little tribute. I, I agree. And I'm from a generation where being vulnerable to the world is it's an unforgivable sin. Like, I, that's the right. last thing you can do. Uh, and I'm too old to break out of that mindset, I feel. Um, it, it's one of the last remaining fears that I have as a person, you know. But yeah. in, in show business, like the world vulnerability i mean how hard is it as a public figure can it just kill your career do you feel you know i think to be honest with you i think it can actually help your career i'm i'm not good with that either Mm -hmm. because i spent so many of my formative years you know like you said i started playing at 13 and i did my first tour at 15 you know and and that was you know touring as a teenage girl in you know bands with a bunch of dudes and on tours with a bunch of guys like you know, vulnerability will kill you, (laughs) you know, and I'm not just saying vulnerability, like, you know, you can't have feelings or emotions, but, you know, if you show that you're tired or, or that you're hungry or that things are getting to you, you know, people, musicians give each other shit. That's just part of the game, part of the deal. And if if you show that it's bothering you, it's getting, it's getting to you. It's like being on the playground. It'll be a thousand times worse. So I've always been of the mindset that vulnerability is not an asset. It's, it's a weakness. And now I'm learning more and more in this business that if you show vulnerability, if you show, hey, you know what, I have challenges and I have hard times too and I rise above them, it's something that makes you more relatable and can be an asset. I just haven't quite found that side yet. I'm still stubborn enough to say like, no, everything's fine and I'm great. I, I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm scared as well. It's just like because it's, it's beaten to your head, at least from the generation that I grew up. Now, something that you did state that I really liked was kind of an attitude is that what you get to do versus what you have to do is a phrase yes. that I heard you say. You stated that, I think, primarily about your work schedule currently, but it's a very good phrase. So how important is that mindset now and does it take some training to get there? It's everything. And it's, you know, your willpower is like any other muscle. You have to exercise it. If you don't exercise your willpower, 
you know, you'll, you will have a much harder time resisting things and much harder time getting things done that you don't want to do. But, uh, but the get to do versus have to do is an attitude that I've adopted, uh, throughout my entire, like the entirety of my life from food to exercise, to music, to practicing, to going on tour, you know, it's adopting that mindset of what do I, you know, like, for example, you know, I'm leaving on a, on tour in a couple of days here and I have to practice, you know, I have to practice a lot. I'm going on tour with Angel Vivaldi and Jackie Vincent, two of the best shred guitar players of this new wave of shred guitar players. I have to practice. And, but rather than saying like, Oh God, I have to practice so much today because I have this tour and it's such a pain. If I frame it, like I get this amazing opportunity and I get to do all these great things. And this is how I get to prepare it's a lot easier to do it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It, it takes stress away because... It does. Like you said, it it, does. it's the gift. And if you put it out there. Exactly. And if you put it out there, you know, we talk about social media and being vulnerable. If you put it out there, like, uh, you know, I'm having such a hard day and I'm so tired all the time, you know, like I'm speaking to you now, we're doing a battery of press for my record and I've, I've been literally at it on the phone since five this morning because we were doing Scandinavian press and I had to call radio stations in Sweden. So, but if I was doing my record and nobody wanted to talk to me, that would be a hell of a lot worse. (laughs) So rather than saying I have to get up at 5 a.m. and do these interviews, I say I get to get up at 5 a.m. and promote this thing that I'm so excited about. Yes, dude. That's a great attitude. I'm hoping I'm not asking too many of the same questions. I try to no, no, this is really so, unique. So far, we're okay. Now, one question that I, I picked up when I was searching just recent media is that I love the fact that you brought up uh, Crossroads, the film. Oh, yeah. As as the reason you wanted to pick up guitar. And for people that don't know, Crossroads was directed by Walter Hill, who is an action film director. He directed the film The Warriors. And this is the one film in his kind of repertoire that isn't like action movie-wise. But, um, I didn't actually know that. Oh, there you go. I got. I, and it's my little, favorite movie. And yeah, so he directed the Warriors. You've seen the Warriors, like that 1979 film, by any chance? I no, I haven't. It's worth, I haven't seen that, but I know what it is. Yeah, it's worth it. And uh, so uh, Walter Hill, he did this film. The great thing about this film is that a lot of people that haven't seen it, it it is like the Tenacious D show, like like the tribute song where it's like them versus the devil. It's like the devil went down to Georgia. That's kind of thing, and that's the scene where Steve Vai plays in the movie and that's the scene that inspired you to pick up guitar is that correct it's literally the reason i play guitar and i actually have told steve that there's not many people that get the opportunity to tell their hero that they're their hero but i did get to tell steve that uh like literally to this day i still aspire to be steve Vai in crossroads you want maybe a little less evil but. <laughs> <laughs> i was like you want to be the devil you're like i'm gonna get you and that was based on robert johnson i think right the film was based on the story yes, of robert johnson the blues guy so but now it's like you're like you know it's, i want to be a nice devil i think the devil's a nicer guy in our times in, in some weird way with uh yeah you know it's uh <laughs> you never do know it's certainly more socially acceptable that's for sure and another thing that is always talked about that's important is discipline and, and how people learn that with their work ethic and one thing that you did mention was that you learned it through sports and through gymnastics how important do you think for younger people to get into a group mentality and learn that at a young age I think it's incredibly important. I think I think every kid should play sports. You know, when you play sports as a kid, you learn that no one can do your push-up for you. No one can practice for you. Like, if you want to succeed, you have to put the work in and the time and the effort and the, dil- and the diligence. And, you know, wh- the way I grew up, uh, I grew up with uh, essentially a single mom. My parents were divorced when I was nine. And, you know, I was doing sports my whole life. And my sister and I went to a really expensive private school uh, where our mom was the teacher. So we were at a school, you know, that was full of, you know, the Van Halen kids went to our school and Harrison Ford's kids. Uh, and my sister and I were just the teacher's kids. So we didn't have a lot of money, you know, a, a single mom on, on a teacher's salary. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't very much. And having that discipline, having that attitude of I can work hard and achieve what I want that I had developed over years of doing gymnastics really put me in that perspective. Like, yeah, you know what? These other kids might be getting Range Rovers and Mercedes for their 16th birthday, but I have something that they don't have, which is work ethic and discipline. And their parents can't buy them the amount of practicing that I'm doing. And their parents can't buy them, you know, the time that I spend playing guitar to get better. 
that's something that you can't buy. You can do it or not do it. And that, that really has shaped my entire life. Yeah, I feel the same way. Similar story with that, with that, not, not, not with the school thing, but similar story with that mm-hmm. middle class upbringing, just how important sports was to keep me away from everything that was being thrown at me, whether it be drugs or whatever. Like I learned the power of saying no because mm-hmm. of, of a coach. And uh, Absolutely. Same yeah. with me. My, my coach said no all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you do learn that. You learn that discipline. And another great quote that, that I've been thinking about a lot recently is, you know, because you, you brought up the get to do versus want to versus uh, have to do is, you know, if, if, say you take two people that are trying to quit smoking and someone offers them a cigarette and one person says, no, thanks. I'm trying to quit. And the other person says, no, thank you. I'm not a smoker. And the differentiation between those two is massive mm-hmm. because it's like, this is just who I am and that's how I do it. And this is how my life is. Or I would like to, and maybe I will, but I'm not going to work the second. It's like this wishy-washy versus a definitive decision. That's, that's a great quote and a great point because that takes a lot of years to learn the definitive decision because we're all struggling to be cool. And exactly. to be def- like, that's the first thing that as us as growing up is like, no, I got to feel cool. I got to be cool. That's almost like our religion for a lot of years yeah, it's and true. to be definitive on, on, on that might make you not look cool to that kid that you need to like you. Yeah. I completely like that. Yeah. That took, that took years for me to, to be that definitive way. Um, oh, I, me too. Yeah. It's, it's tough. So, and that, that mindset though, like, cause I've learned with me as, as I'm growing as, as life are weak and strong moments. And then eventually the strong moments will keep happening because you follow that path opposed to the weak Absolutely. one, you know, but it's, it's such a thousand percent, a similar, it's, it's the same feeling though, in a lot of ways. Do you, do you agree with that? Like in those moments, it's the same amount of emotion, I guess. It's just I like, couldn't possibly agree more. I agree so strongly with everything that you just said. I gotta, I gotta ask you this question because this is your first record. And when you're doing your first record by yourself, to abandon a song and be like, "That's good enough to go on the record," it's got to be the hardest time to do that. As the years go by, I'm assuming it's gonna be easier. When did you know when to say when to say that song is finished? There was no when. If if I had had the opportunity to, I would have worked on this record forever, and it would have been Chinese democracy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really would have. But uh, but you know, we did a Kickstarter for the record, mm-hmm. and you know, within that were some parameters. And one of them being that I wanted to deliver people what they asked for, and what they you know, people opened up not just their social media accounts to do a share and a like and a comment. They opened up their wallet. And they put their payment information in to help me. And that's not something I take lightly. I don't take it lightly. You know, that's not something that I'm like, okay, well, I'll take their money and I'll finish it when I finish it. Like, once I made that commitment, I wanted to see it through in a somewhat timely fashion. So, you know, and especially with my touring schedule and everything, like, we just had a very, very short window to accomplish this. So I just had to adopt the mindset of this is a snapshot of me as a guitar player right now. Is it perfect? No. And, you know, am I a perfect guitar player? Never. I have never had a perfect show. I don't think it exists. Maybe Vi has some, but I have never had a perfect show. And that's just how it is. And, you know, the little imperfections are stuff that pretty much only I'll hear and Vi might hear, <laughs> but he'll probably be too nice to say anything. Um, you know, and other guitar players will go, oh, this could be tighter, this could be this. But I'm so happy with how it came out. You know, once you hear it mixed and mastered and, and the overall... Uh, the overall sound of the record and, and how it ended up looking, you know, the, the design of the album cover and the artwork, everything just came together so much how I wanted it that, you know, even those little things that will always kind of bug me and nag me, they're very small in the grand scheme of things. Imperfections, though, are perfections to others. You listen to music fans, and if a record sounds perfect, mm-hmm. people say it sounds too perfect. If a record has mistakes, they'll say it has, you know, it's it's not perfect. So whatever it is, you really cannot please everybody. You know, this if you listen to a perfectly produced, perfectly quantized and overdubbed record, nobody even wants to hear that. <laughs> it's like, then you're just listening to a robot make music. Exactly. And then when you see them live and it sounds perfect, I think it's all backing tracks now. That's how I am. I'm like, it shouldn't sound like that. It needs to sound <laughs> it's like your tracks. It needs to sound like <laughs> human, you know? Yeah. So I completely it's like true. that. And instrumental music, like a lot of good stuff has been coming out and it seems like it's it's growing in popularity from guys like Jeff Loomis a couple of years ago. Marty Friedman's put out some fantastic stuff. You just mentioned uh, Steve I. Who is your favorite 
in, I know Steve Vai is up there, but what's your favorite instrumental metal record if you had to just think of one? Well, Vi is my favorite, but I wouldn't call it metal. Mm. I wouldn't say that Vi's stuff is like uh, is my favorite metal shred stuff. I mean, I love Angel. I'm a huge mm. fan of Angel Vivaldi's, and to get to go on my first solo tour with somebody like him that's so well established and has really like gone out there and carved a new path in the instrumental guitar world is amazing. And you mentioned Jeff Loomis. I'm a huge, huge Jeff Loomis fan. I love Zero Order Phase. Uh, I love everything that he's done. I actually sent it to my mix guy as a reference. I'm like, hear how amazing this sounds? Make mine like that. <laughs> Dude, yes, that uh, record is so amazing. Shouting Fire of Funeral, everything that he does. Uh, Zero Order Phase was one of my first, uh, you know, I, I listened to Satriani and Vi and, and Paul Gilbert and Marty Friedman and all this stuff, but I didn't really know of the, this newer instrumental shred stuff until I heard Zero Order Phase. And that was the one because I was such a huge Never for More fan, still a huge oh, Never so More good. fan. But like I remember when the breakup happened and I heard Loomis was going to do that. I I mean I was so excited. I was excited like like the new Tool record. I'm like what? Like and then when I got it, I was like I just knew it, and I wanted it, was it to be so worth the wait. Yeah, mm-hmm. dude, it was so great. So you had a great year, 2018. <laughs> Nita, this has been a fantastic year from from start for you. It's been my year. It has been. Uh, one of the highlights is that you were on Guitar Player Magazine. How important was that accomplishment for you just personally? It was insane. I actually, as of this month, have been on the cover of both Guitar World and Guitar Player this year because yeah. I'm on the new Guitar World as well. And uh, as a kid growing up, you know, like I, I kind of mentioned earlier, I was a weird kid. I didn't have a ton of friends. I didn't have the easiest time making friends, you know, and uh, I was a bookworm. I was always a, a super reader. And, to, you know, I would go to the, the bookstore, like the actual, you know, physical bookstore, like the Barnes & Noble, and I would get copies of Guitar World and Guitar Player, and I would read the articles, and I would read the magazine, you know, the tabs, and I would read all the different things. And that was how I educated myself as a guitar player. And I would read the tabs and I'd read the articles in the back explaining the different techniques. And that's how I learned so much of what I still use every day today. And so to get to, you know, first I had a column in Guitar World for the past year, which is called like a hurricane. And that was the first step in this thing. I was like, oh my gosh, I read these magazines and now I get to help the next generation of guitar players the way that Guitar World helped me before. And then to graduate to actually being on the cover of both magazines, it kind of, I was, it's a weird thing to say, but not a lot of people believed in me for a long time, you know, as, especially in, in the rock and the metal community. It's an amazing community and really inclusive. But as a girl, you have a lot to prove. And nobody can say any differently than that. You do have to go out there and deliver, especially hard in our scene. And uh, to be on the cover of those magazines, and I was the only girl on the Guitar World cover at all this year, uh, it kind of gives me a little bit of that validation, like, yo, you are one of us now, like, you passed all the tests. Yes, dude, every step, there's, and the steps are never ending till that. Till they the are time. never ending, yeah, and I hope they end. never end. Yes. I hope they never stop after this. I hope there are more and more and more and more. Another thing that you did that was really cool this year was you were on WrestleMania. Now, you've only been a wrestling oh fan for like three or four years, if I remember correctly, in an interview I heard. Mm-hmm. So you're a newer fan, but the stage at WrestleMania, it was in New Orleans, I believe, the one you were at. Yeah. The stage was one of the craziest stages I've ever seen uh, for WrestleMania. And you were shredding, and there was these violin players and drummers and all these things. How many, like, how much did you get to rehearse for that opening? We only rehearsed it three times. uh, And it was all that day. Um, It was, so we arrived in New Orleans uh, a few days ahead. um, And I was just, I told WWE music guys, I was like, I'll just be on call. I'm I'm staying in town. Whenever you want me to rehearse, I'll be there. And I was kind of hoping they were going to call me, like, you know, give me a couple days. And of course, a few days before the call came, yeah, we're going to rehearse you at 1.30 p.m. on WrestleMania Day on Sunday. And doors are opening at 3. And there's a bunch of other stuff before and after you, so please be prompt. I was like, okay, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we, we got there, and uh, actually the main drummer, which is very cool, it was uh, John Alicastro from CFOs who write all the music for WWE. So it was actually the composer of the song playing the drums, which was awesome. And uh, John and myself uh, got to meet with Mr. McMahon and Triple H, 
and they kind of gave us an idea of what they wanted and we ran it a couple times and they're like okay thanks you're good we'll call you when we need you you're probably going to go on round 10 I was like, okay, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I was obsessively thanking people. Thank you so much for your opportunity. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. And then uh, Josh and I looked at each other. I said, what time is it? He's like, it's 145. <laughs> I was like, that was it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, from one one thirty to one forty five, and then we had about nine and a half hours to kill until I went on stage. So it was like, uh, plenty of times for nerves to settle in. Let's just say that. Yeah. Did you see the stress of the entire situation to put on a show like that backstage by any chance? Or were you just kind of focused on you? Oh man. It it looks like an insane production. It is a crazy production. And, and the amount of tension backstage there is like, you can cut it with a knife. You know, I was just on Evolution, which was the WWE's first ever all-female pay-per-view. And the, the attitude backstage was so totally different because, of, I mean, of course they want to do a great show. But it was this really triumphant, like, jubilant, we did it, this is so awesome, we're so happy everybody's here. Where Mania was like, let's get this right, everybody get this right. And uh, it was a much more uh, high-stress situation. But the whole team at WWE is amazing to work with, like from the music people to the techs, to the riggers, the lighting people, to the wrestlers, everybody that I've met and encountered there has been really, really amazing. One thing that did happen this year, and I hate to segue into kind of a sad story, um, but I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a huge fan of Jill Janis. You know, yes. I, I got to meet her, I got to interview her and actually put out the interview posthumously, which which broke my heart as well, but oh, if, I read that. Yeah. I, I just wanted to bring her up because I want her legacy to keep going. One of the, one of the Hell yeah. best vocalists I've ever seen live. Like I said, I got the goosebumps, uh, the second I heard her. So one of the things that I did want to bring up is that you guys were in the, the group, the Starbreakers together. And I know you were friends with her for a long time, but what yes. song did she perform live? That was a cover song that you think she took over and it was hers. Oh my God. Literally. I have chills. I've had chills the entire time you're talking because I, I love to talk about Jill. And I know a lot of people don't want to make it a conversation topic because it's sad, but I love talking about Jill and I love talking about her range and her amazing stage presence and her amazing attitude. And if I had to pick something, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. The whole set that we did in the Starbreakers was like Jill's fuck you to every other singer. I don't know if we can cuss on this show, but like <laughs> oh, it away. really, yeah. okay. It was literally Jill's, like, go fuck yourself to every other singer on the planet. Because she did four octaves in our show. She did the lowest lows and the highest highs and the most brutal screams. Like, we would do... The Starbreakers was a band that was about doing songs that people wouldn't expect a bunch of pretty girls to do. So, you know, and, and that was a little bit like how it was in The Maidens, but it was so much more in Starbreakers. You know, we did King Diamond, we did Ozzy, we did... Uh, we did Painkiller by Judas Priest straight out of a drum solo. So, you know, Lindsay Martin, who was the drummer in, in Starbreakers, she's this little 24-year-old curly-haired blonde chick, and she gets her Doc Martens on, and she pounds the shit out of a drum solo and then straight into Painkiller. And, and Jill hitting those super soaring highs, and, you know, she held that note at the end of painkiller so long that it would get awkward on stage. <laughs> it was like, you see videos of us doing this song and you see Courtney and I look at each other like, is she out of breath yet? Man. Cause she could hold that note like nobody's business. And she would throw everybody around backstage, any, you know, stage hands, anybody, she would say, you know, no one can smoke back here. No one can do that. She would just take control of, of the entire situation like a boss. And, uh, and she was just an amazing, amazing person to be in a band with. And she was also my sober buddy. Uh, Jill had gotten sober. I got sober in September of 2015, and Jill got sober at the beginning of this year. And uh, and Jill was my person. Jill was my person that I would text or call when I was feeling like I was going to slip. So not only has she been a huge loss as a friend and as a bandmate, but you know, I looked up to her a lot in that way. So. I hope that by staying on track, I can make her proud too. That sober buddy thing, that's, that's even more heartbreaking because I do, if I remember, she got you like an amulet, right? That you guys... She did. Uh, like, she, got, she got me a crystal and, and I have it. Literally, I'm, I'm, I'm pacing around in the parking garage right now and I have that crystal with me, literally in my purse around my neck. Like, I have it with me all the time. And the, the coolest thing about that crystal is 
when I did my post after Jill passed, when I, I wrote my little post honoring her, a couple other girls, you know, Heidi and Carla from the Butcher Babies, and I think a, a couple other people said, hey, she did that. She gave me a crystal, too. Like, that was something that Jill did for people that she cared about. I have never had a friend just randomly give me a present and just say, hey, I wanted you to have this. I made it for you. It'll keep you safe and keep you strong. I like literally I have I have some nice friends, but I've never had somebody that in my life that was thoughtful enough to just say, Hey, I made this for you for no occasion. It's not your birthday. It's really special. But I was thinking about you and I made you something that I think will help you in your life. Like, I don't have any friends that do that kind of stuff. And Jill did that for not just me, but other people in her life that she cared about. A big heart sometimes, right? It, it gets oh so big. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, and we talked about earlier how life is moments, man. Everybody. Oh, I have all the Jill moments. I have so many Jill moments. And in, in my post about Jill, I asked people, if you have a Jill story, please share it in the comments. And I was, I was in Reno on tour with Alice, and I was just sitting in my hotel room. I talked to Heidi from Butcher Babies, and I talked to Elisa from March Enemy both that day. And we were all just sitting in our respective hotel rooms. And, you know, Heidi was in the, in the bus on tour, and Elisa and I were in our hotel rooms on different tours. And we were all just sitting there crying our eyes out at the same time, thinking about this amazing woman and this amazing legacy that she left. So, you know, she paved the way for so many of us. And, yes, of course, there were people that did it before her, but no one did it like Jill. No one had that mix of attitude and technique like Jill did. There was a lot of amazing female front, front women with kick-ass attitude, but no one had technique like Jill's. And I will, I will stand by that till the day I die. We did bring up We Start Wars a little bit earlier. Any updates on mm -hmm. that project? So We Start Wars is, is the band I've wanted to be in since I started playing guitar. And you know, finding the right group of people to do it with was so hard. And I, you know, and I finally found the right group of people. But the problem is, once I got that group of people together, I had to leave and go on tour. Like, my day job requires me to be out on the road, you know, 10 months out of the year. And since I grabbed the best and brightest of, you know, musicians in L.A., I couldn't really expect all of them to hang around and wait for me. I was like, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll be back in four months. So by the time I got back and I was like, hey, you guys want to do this band? They were, you know, one person was on one tour, another girl was in another project, another girl was out, you know, Nicole's out climbing rocks in Greece or, you know, everyone's doing other stuff. So it's it's still definitely something I want to do, but uh, there's just, it just wasn't in the cards for right this second. 10 months out of the year. Do you ever unpack your suitcase or is it just always just packed on the side? I haven't unpacked my suitcase in, in almost five years. Wow. <laughs> there you go. And look yeah, at I haven't. It doesn't make sense to. No. It, it really, like... It, it doesn't make sense to. I was uh, I was talking to, to Becky Lynch from WWE about this, and she said the same thing. She's like, by the time you unpack it, you just got to pack it again anyway. So, I just have doubles of a few things, and my suitcase stays packed. Nice man. So, that is that is a, that is a, a a successful life on the road, though. For any, I think most businesses that if you're going to be in, in the arts, because you've got to keep traveling. Um, I'm sure that, that that's tough. It sounds tough to me, man, but the reward the grass is always greener yeah. there's there's a, a tough side to it but it's anytime i think about how difficult it is i think about all the years that i spent hoping that someday i would get to this point and then it becomes a little easier yes definitely and uh, we want to celebrate this record you put out nita i've been listening to it all week i'm a huge fan of oh it. i'm so glad i think you nailed it i'm so it. glad they sent it to you Oh yeah, they, they got it to me. I, I'm a huge fan of it. I've been I've been playing it all week, and I'm telling you, it ranges the emotions. That's why I asked that song question. I'm like, I don't think this is a complete story because it's it's so diverse as it goes through, and and that's an accomplishment. And, and this whole year has been great, and I just can't wait to see what happens with you in 2019. I do want you to be able to unpack that suitcase maybe <laughs> on a vacation in that year, but you know what? If if it if it ends up like this year, it's all good. So everybody out there. Yeah. Let me just tell you one more time. Controlled Chaos, it is out now. Make sure you guys pick up a copy and catch her on tour. She's going to be touring all the way till the end of, it's like December 21st, right? That's right. We so leave right two days after the record comes out and we get home the day before Christmas. So, so guys, make sure you catch her on the road. She's going to be practicing right when she's done talking to me, like nonstop, right? It's going to be, it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go home and, sh and shred. I signed a thousand CDs today and now I'm going to go home and practice. Excellent. And that work ethic. Yes, because she gets to. And that work ethic, everybody learn from that. 
That is how you get places. So, Nita, I want to thank you so much for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me on. I, I had a great time.
This show is sponsored by Rockabilia. During the holiday season, put some merch from Rockabilia on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection and you can get 15% off with the promo code PCJabberJaw. Head over to rockabilia.com today for all your holiday merch and save 15% with the promo code PCJabberJaw. And we are back, guys. First song you heard is off Nita Strauss's debut record, Controlled Chaos, which again is out right now. That song is called Our Most Desperate. Second song, same record, Pandemonium 2.0. Guys, make sure you pick up this record. It's a great ride all the way through. Definitely uh, definitely very happy that I'm on the, uh, the cycle to promote this record because uh, I can't stop listening to it. And catch her on tour with Angel Vivaldi right now all the way till December 21st. Last thing we want to mention, guys, us here at the Metal Sucks Podcast, we want to reach out to everybody that's dealing with the California wildfires right now. This is an uh, insane tragedy, and anybody listening out there that uh, doesn't have that reference, just uh, make sure you look, on the, you look at some of the news stories and some of the things, and if you can't help out, guys, help out. A lot of bands out there are selling merch to help out. A lot of people out there have uh, GoFundMes and stuff. Um, but definitely worthy cause, and our hearts go out to all those people out there. So until next week, my friends, Metal Sucks Podcast, over and out. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. <laughs>